Our Old Testament reading today comes from the prophet Micah. You can find it on page 779 in your pew Bible. Chapter 5, Micah, verses 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Epathra, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up into the time when she who is in labor has given birth Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading this morning is found on page 857. In your Bible, it's Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. In the word of the Lord. Children, we'd like to invite you, if you choose, you can join your teachers and your fellow students in the back of the sanctuary and, uh, and go to your time of worship together. Um, let's pray for them as they, as they leave the room, if we could. God, thank you so much for these children. Your word says, a little child shall lead them. And in so many ways, God, they have revealed to us your glory. God, there's aspects of you that we would have never understood were it not for children. God, we just pray your blessing on them as they go from this place. And I ask, God, that that you would grant us childlike hearts, God, so that we might receive your word, 
so we might be transformed by it and that we might take your word from this place today. God will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, wow, what a privilege to be able to come to God's word today and to think deeply about what is precious to us. I don't know about you, but um, one thing about the holidays that is both good and hard is that it reminds us of the fellowship and the community we've experienced. I say it's hard because because life has gone on and, and our relationships are different each year. Every time we come together, we're in a different place and and sometimes the very thing that was so beautiful, the thing of community that we experienced, um, when it changes, it becomes hard. And if you're in that place this um, holy day season, if you're in that place where you're remembering Christmas's past, know that uh, God understands and he's with you. And though for a while um, we have to let go of earthly human relationships, trusting that God is sovereign over those things, We have this hope and this promise for all those who have put their trust in Christ that we will share that community again. But it's also a time of joy as we find new family, right? Our nuclear families may be changing, but God always provides. And if you have grown up in Evansville and this is all that you've ever known, it might not be as real to you as it is for some of us who have not found, were not born here, did not grow up here, but have found family, have found community in our spiritual family as well. And I just invite you to drink deep of that. For whatever reason, God has blessed us with this season of community together. Let's drink deep of those relationships. God has made us for community. We've explored that together. God exists in community. He always has. He always will. And we, being made in His image, then are also invited into that community. The dark side of community is that that sometimes we feel pressure to fit in and to become a part of a group. And sometimes that pressure is overwhelming. I mean, I I remember in sixth grade on a basketball court in Ventura, California, and I was the new kid. I just moved there from South Carolina. And you know how everybody looks at the new kid and that kind of stuff. And so I just did what I I thought I I always wanted to do. I just went out to the basketball court, right? And and, and at at recess, remember recess? Most of you don't have no idea what I'm talking about. There was this thing called recess, and at recess, I went out to the basketball court to join in and, and become a part of this new school. Incidentally, the school is called Poinsettia School. And, um, and uh, of course, you can guess what happened next, right? Um, they, they chose two captains. They began to choose the teams, right? And, and you can just see the kind, of the kind of the smug kind of looks. Yeah, he chose me first, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, choose me, choose me, right? Ooh, 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 ooh. You guys don't know it, but I love basketball. I'm, I'm pretty good at it, right? Ooh, ooh, right? And as you would imagine, uh, um, I wasn't chosen until last, right? Might have had something to do with the fact that one of my teeth uh, at that time was a horizontal. And I kid you not. I kid you not. And um, so when my mouth was closed, my tooth was sticking out of my mouth. And they're thinking, I don't know what this is. They came from South Carolina, and, uh, and we don't want to deal with him. 
the dark side. The dark side of the beautiful way God created us for community is that when you don't feel a part of that community, right? When you don't feel like you belong, it's, it's a horrible feeling. And, and in our world right now, I can't think of a time in my lifetime when we've lived in a more exclusive time, right? When you were identified by some marker. And if you didn't have that marker, then, then you weren't in, right? And, and if you didn't have that marker, it wasn't just like they ignored you like they did me on that basketball court, but, but you were actually shamed or, or discounted or excluded. Now, here's the deal, right? God loves outcasts. God loves broken people. God loves those whose lives are not bright and shiny. And I think I can make a pretty strong case to say those are the people he chooses first to go to, right? And, and I'm making that case today because of the very people that God chose to first come. Apart from Joseph and Mary and a cow and a donkey, I think according to my crash on my mantle, then the first people that, that he revealed this glorious truth that God has become flesh and is dwelling among us, the first people were outcasts. And you say, wait, I thought, I thought they revealed themselves to the shepherds, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I know that, that especially God has a heart for shepherds, and over and over in Scripture, he elevates shepherds. But you have to understand that in that culture, shepherds were outcasts. Now, I don't think I fully understood this until I was backpacking one time. And we had been like seven or eight days out, right? And, and, and we started to get near civilization again, right? And if anybody who's backpacked knows exactly what's going on. Uh, you know, we didn't smell bad, right? We hadn't showered in seven or eight days. We'd been hiking eight or nine miles a day, right? We didn't smell bad. I mean, we smelled ourselves and, and we didn't smell anything, right? And then one clean person walked by. I kid you not. And we go, what's that? And then all of a sudden, I can't explain it. It's like a switch turned, and we go, wow, this is nasty, right? And, and if that were not enough, our own realization, it was reaffirmed by the people that were walking by. And I'm thinking about Yosemite a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. We got back, and Karen and, and one other person had stayed behind, I think it was Alyssa, had stayed behind, and they, they camped, right? But they camped where they got to go and take showers every day, right? And so we come peeling off one by one off of this 26-mile hike, and, and, and we come in there, and Karen's kind of looking at us, and her eyes are kind of big, right? And we plop down in, in, our, in our folding chairs and all this stuff, and we plop down, and, and right then it started to rain. Now, there's only one thing worse than a smelly person, Right? A wet, smelly person, right? We had to throw those chairs away. I kid you not. I'm not kidding you. They're Coleman, really nice Coleman folding chairs, and the stink just ran off of us onto those chairs. And so, so I understand. I understand outcasts, right? Um, and I understand why. Uh, and, and I have to tell you that sometimes I forget those lessons. And then, then I come across someone who may not have it like I have it, right? It may not be blessed like I am, am blessed. And, and I'm just thinking, why don't they take a shower? Right? And I, I find myself on the wrong side of the whole outcast thing. 
That's why I think it's so beautiful that God chose first human beings to give this message to to people who were outcasts. And actually, in in the um, Jewish commentaries on the law called the Mishnah, it actually said that 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 you you are to exclude shepherds. You're to exclude them. Why? Because they're like backpackers. They live out there in the field for weeks on end, right? And then oftentimes, because nobody wants to do that, then they they um, they have to they have to drop their standards and drop their standards of, of who might they give in uh, charge of their sheep. And, and so you just got a different, a different kind of person, a person that people would reject, but a person whom the one who was rejected by people would love. So when you find yourself an outcast, when you find yourself not fitting in, now I've used something simple like smell, but, but there's a whole bunch of reasons that people will discount you and a whole bunch of reasons why people will not accept you into their community. When you find yourself in this place, know that God loves outcasts. He loves the broken. He loves the smelly. He loves people who can't fend for themselves. Shepherds in Jesus' day were not very high on the social totem pole. They had no clout either religiously or politically, that anyone should listen to them, right? But God uses people like that. God uses those on the fringes to shape the world for the kingdom of God. God uses the people that the world overlooks. So I just want to invite you, let's let go of all that other thinking of a socially appropriate word, garbage, right? Let's, let's let go of all that other stuff. Let's love whom God loves. Let's be whom God desires. As we look at this story, this really familiar story, one way I want to invite you to think about it with me today is to think first in terms of the moment, right? Later on, we're going we're gonna to think especially of the message, because the message, we do not want to miss the message that God gave the shepherds. And then we're going to ask ourselves at the very end, what matters? What difference does this make for you and for me? Let's start with the moment, right? Um, the, the word says in that same region, now the same region that he's talking about is the region uh, around Bethlehem. Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah and of Israel, Right? And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And a messenger of God stood among them. I, I said that intentionally because it's translated in our Bibles, appeared to them, and it's unclear what that means. But as so often happens when, when God chooses to reveal himself in a human form, don't, don't picture cherubs again, don't picture little fat babies with wings, Picture a human being, right, standing amongst you. When God chooses to reveal himself, he does it by standing with us. And though it says up here, the literal word is an angel of the Lord stood among them. And it, it takes me back to that scripture we've looked at so many times together where, where um, 
Gabriel is speaking to Daniel, and he, and, and he says, I stand in the presence of God, right? And it's so weird because, no, you're standing in my presence. And, and, and then the lights go on, right? Did you follow that? The angel says, I stand in the presence. No, you're not standing. You're standing with me. Boom. Boom. Is there any wonder that the glory of the Lord shone around them, right? Because the angel of the Lord is standing in two places at once. He's standing there with the shepherds, but he's also at the very same time standing in the presence of God, right? And these shepherds who had no influence in society, who had no money, who had no power or privilege, right? God reveals himself to them through this angel. Messenger of God stood among them. Now God always had a special place in his heart for shepherds, so it's not a real surprise to us. David, right? King David started as a shepherd, and David's promised son, the Messiah, right? What would he be called? The Lamb of God, right? That takes away the sins of the world. John one twenty nine. So it's so fitting that when God chose to reveal himself, he would do it through these shepherds. And I just want to anchor ourselves. We said it when we were studying together, uh, Jonah, you know, we, we said it then, that God chooses to reveal himself to ordinary people. Ordinary people. Let's just anchor ourselves in that truth again. Ordinary shepherds. They had not uh, somehow earned the right to be spoken to by this angel. There's nothing about them themselves. No, they were, they were Jewish. They, were, they, they understood. They just somehow had washed out in the education system. They'd washed out really early. Like Japan today, as I understand it, there's kind of a triage as you go. And, and as long as you keep maintaining, you can move further and further. But if you wash out in... Let me just use an American equivalent. If you wash out in kindergarten, right then there's only going to be a limited amount of things that you can do. And, and these guys apparently had washed out somewhere along the line there. And then God said, I, I choose to reveal myself to washed out people. I choose to my, reveal myself to shepherds, common, ordinary people. Now, I'm, I'm, I, don't want, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying here. We're going to see next week that God revealed himself to the wise and the powerful as well, God reveals himself to all people. And God loves all people, right? But it just seems like he chooses to use the least of these often to make his impact on the world. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers, don't consider, excuse me, brothers, consider your calling. Not many of you are wise. From a human perspective, not many of you are powerful. Can I get an amen? Right? Of me. Right? I'm not wise or powerful, right? Not many of you are of noble birth. Instead, Paul says, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Right? It just seems... Like God, he loves all. He reveals himself to all, but he uses 
what looks like weakness to bring glory to himself. Paul, as we've so often referred to, discovered that personally. When, when he cried out to God for deliverance, whatever it was that was the thorn in his flesh, I think it was blindness, I don't know, but, but when he cried out to God three times, and God said, no. Remember? Why? Right. Because my power is perfected in weakness, right? Not in, in your strength. And Paul says, so I'm going to boast about my weakness that God could be glorified in me. So, so God has chosen to stand among these shepherds in the form of this angel. And when he did, the glory of the Lord surrounded them, right? I, I'm going to speak outside my pay grade here, but there may have never been before and may never be again until Christ returns. Such a moment as we're talking about today. Right? I can't, I'm scouring my memory, trying to think of a time. I know Isaiah before had pictured God in his glory in the temple, but it was, it was smoky, and, and, he, and he didn't understand what was going on. But this night, this night in this field with the outcasts of society, God revealed his glory. The moment that history had been waiting for. So that, so that not only did, was there this angel standing in the presence of God and the presence of the shepherds at the very same time, but then if that were not enough, the heavenly hosts, and I always picture white-robed, little angelic, because that's, that's what I grew up seeing, right? No, this, that word heavenly host is the army of God, right? The army of God shows up, and, and I always picture them singing. It didn't say that they were singing. They could have been. It just said that they said what we affirmed a few moments ago. Glory to God in the highest, right? Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace. On those whom he's pleased. Peace, right? So I don't know. Until Jesus returns, I don't know that we'll ever hear of or experience something like that again. Something world-changing has happened And God is revealing himself to these shepherds. He's speaking to these shepherds. So what is the message, right? What is the message that he gives these these humble night shift shepherds, right? I I minister at a nursing home nearby, and and I come right at the shift, right as the night shift people go off. And so I always see them about 7.30 in the morning, and, and there might be you know, 80 of them or something going off shift or something, and they are exhausted and they are tired and they just want to go home and sleep. What is it that God revealed to these night shift shepherds, right? I want to suggest to you one way of understanding it is to, is to think about what you should feel. And it sounds strange to you, but I'll try and explain myself in just a moment. Also, what you should know, Right? And what you should do, shepherds, what you should do. We start with, with what you should feel. Why do I, why do I say that? Because the first thing that the angel said to these shepherds who had never experienced anything close to this, anything close to this, uh, they, the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Now, how many times have we heard that, right? We've heard that every week. 
the last few weeks. Because when God shows up, it's a terrifying experience, right? It's so out of our boundaries. It's so glorious. We don't have a frame of reference. It removes all the support structure, all the scaffolding in our life that helped us even to exist. It removes all that, washes it all away. And, and, and the angel says, this is how you should feel. Don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. I, uh, I love watching children and, uh, and, and, and then watching parents as they care for their children. And, and I'm not sure. She must get it from her mom's side of the family. But, but um, when Chelsea's caring for her little five-month-old, um, I think we're just getting on six months right now, uh, and, and something happens. Maybe she slips or bangs her head or something, right? You know what Chelsea says? I think you know because you probably do the same thing. She says, you're okay. Right? Right? She might be bleeding on the floor, right? And Chelsea says, you're okay. Right? And what is, what is she doing? She's, she's saying, um, don't let your emotions go, you know, to a six-month-old. Right? You're okay. And, and, and Naomi goes, oh, okay. Right? Now, imagine what would happen if, if Chelsea said, oh, no, look at this. We're going to die, right? What would, what would Naomi feel? She would, she would take her cue from that, right? I love it that God, that God says to us, you're okay, right? Don't be afraid. Now, I, I say that flippantly. For Linda right now, um, that, that is a step of faith. Because everybody else is telling her, you're not okay, right? And, and she needs to listen to the Lord's voice. You're okay. And I know that many of you are in situations exactly like that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God says through the angel. We shorthand that when we're talking to people saying, don't be afraid. God's got this, right? God's got this. And... And the angel encourages, encourages the shepherds. This is what you should feel. Peace be with you. Peace on those whom God favors, right? Peace, shepherds. Our tendency is either fight or fright or flight. And the angel reminds us, don't let your emotions control your thoughts and behaviors. Your emotions are really important. I'm not saying be just a cerebral person. Remember, your soul is counseled by your mind and your emotions. And I can't tell you how many times when my mind was saying something and Karen's emotions were saying something different, she was right, right? She's not here, so I can say that safely. What happens in the sanctuary stays in the sanctuary, okay? I I can say that. I'm not saying don't listen to your emotions. I'm just saying don't let your emotions control, right? Balance, balance. When you feel that rising, when you're tempted to think that God's not able, when you're tempted to believe that because you might have been cast out by society that you're cast out by God, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Secondly, he says, this is what you should know as well. Today, in the city of David, is born unto you a Savior. Right? I, I, I emphasize that because 
Because this is not just about God's cosmic plan for the redemption of the earth. That's true. It is about God's cosmic plan for the redemption of the earth, but that includes you, right? Unto you, and it's plural there, unto you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David. And, and, and he reminds them how important they are in God's economy. Well, what is it? Who is it that's born? A Savior. A Savior. Your Savior. Born unto you. A Savior. At some point, beloved, you have to come to grips with that. What are you trusting to save yourself? Nothing, nothing can do that except Jesus. And, and I temper the bad news that nothing can save you with the good news that God has given unto you a Savior. And, and He's not only here to save you from your sins. That's what He's saving you from. He's not saving you necessarily from the Romans. He's not saving you from that irritating person at the office. He's not saving you from, from your neighbor who you just can't get along with. He's saving you from your sin. And, and, and not only is he saving you from your sin, but you need to know, shepherds, you need to know, outcasts, that he's also the Christ. These were Jewish outcasts. They knew that one day the Messiah would come. And Christ is simply the Greek word for the Hebrew concept of Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would come to redeem his people, Right? And were that not enough, I know these names are flying by fast. I just invite you to camp on one of those names for a day. Savior, Messiah, Christ. But not only is that, is he the Savior and he is the Christ, but, but he is the Lord. And, and I don't know about you, but right then I go, well, that was anticlimactic, right? Savior, Christ, and, and, and yeah, yeah, I'll... I'll let him be Lord over my life. But don't forget, don't forget the context of this. He's speaking to Jewish people, right? When they use that word Lord, it's, it's translated into Greek now, right? So it's, it's translated out of its original meaning. When they use that word Lord, when they use the word Adonai, they were using the word that was substituted for the very name of the living God, Yahweh, right? So, so this is not a diminished thing at the end of this. This is actually the pinnacle of it. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ and God. He is Yahweh in the flesh. He is God become flesh with us. Wow. Wow. Not only is that is that transformative for all those whom the shepherds would tell the story, but it's life-changing for them. And before God will ever ask you to go and share with someone the good news, he invites you to experience that good news yourself. So know today, beloved outcasts, night shift shepherds, know today that unto you is born a Savior, a Messiah, God himself in the flesh. So what do we do? What do we do? Because, I mean, that, that would be enough, right? As is so often true. If we just ended the story right there, it would be a glorious story. We would sing Christmas carols about it and, 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 and sing Kumbaya around the campfire, right? We would, we would rejoice in this, right? But, but there's this 
pregnant pause right here that, that we lose in our culture, right? Because they've got this news. They've been told. They've seen this glorious experience. They've got this news. And there's this pregnant pause because this moment is what's critical. What will you do now? And, and our North American culture does not get this. God never reveals truth just so that we can increase our intellectual capacity, right? He doesn't, he doesn't give us truth so that, so that we somehow feel better and more knowledgeable than other people. He gives us truth so that we will respond. And it's such a visual here. It, it, we've seen it all through the Christmas story, but it's such a, a visual here as well, right? Um, he says, unto you is given a sign, right? A sign. The other night I was, um, I had to do an emergency run down to um, Paducah, Kentucky, and I was coming back about 11 o'clock at, at night. And, and all of a sudden, um, I'm thinking, I'm not absolutely sure where I am. And I had just been doing it from memory of my trip down there. And, and, uh, and so I called up my trusty GPS, right? And, and I said, find me a way home, right? And as soon as I did that, it said, make a right turn right now, you know? And I don't have one of those, some of you do, one of those ones where they yell at you. But this is as close as my GPS gets to yelling at me. Make a right turn right now. Right? And right, there's an exit right there. Right? And in looking at my phone, I had missed the sign, and that was my, that was my turn. Um, that was the time to turn. Unto you is given a sign, right? A sign that, that's giving you direction, that's, that's telling you which way you should go. Follow the signs. Right? Follow the sign. The angel had said unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior who is Christ the King. And this shall be a sign to you, right? You'll find this baby lying in a manger, right? Swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. What are you going to do? Follow the signs, right? We saw the sign uh, in seven, Isaiah 7.14 just a few weeks ago, Right? A virgin shall conceive. That is a sign. That's not happened before. It never had happened before in human history. A virgin shall conceive. And in Isaiah 7:14, now we're given another sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We're running out of time, but 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 you think what? Why would that have been so powerful? So powerful to them. Certainly, you can imagine that babies are wrapped in swaddling clothes all the time, right? We do that ourselves. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm thinking of Judah. Um, when, when they're very small, right, they don't know that that's their hand, right? And so, um, if you don't swaddle them when you put them down, right, what will they do? They go, right? And they go, what was that? What was that? And they'll look at you like, did you do that to me? Right, right? And, and there it comes again, right? And, and so we swaddle them so that they won't beat themselves to a pulp until they figure out that that's part of me. You did that. I didn't do that. You did that, right? So it's not particularly unusual that a baby would be swaddled, but it's very unusual that a baby would be put in a manger. Oh, there's so much rich stuff. God's Word is so trustworthy. It's so true. And as we get beyond all the Christmas Carol version of the Christmas story, you'll, you'll realize the unique setting Maybe we'll have a chance to explore it together. Let me just say this, that God chose to reveal himself to the outcasts who were in charge of isolating and finding the firstborn 
lambs without blemish who would be offered in the temple for worship. Right? And you have to imagine, I can't, I can't verify this from the biblical sources, but people who follow this say that, that one thing that shepherds did was when they, they knew this was a firstborn lamb, and, and they wanted to protect it because it was worth more to sell it if it was unblemished, right? Here it comes. They would wrap it. They would swaddle it. They would put it aside in a safe place like a manger. I don't know for sure. But I, I have grown to love the symmetry of God. That, that 30 years before this Lamb of God would be offered for our sins, he was identified by the outcast of society on the night shift and set apart and put in a manger. Right? Follow the signs. Follow the signs. Not just through the Christmas story, but in every scripture, every word of God is pointing. It's a sign given to you to point you to the Messiah. Right? So what do we do? What do we do next? The shepherd said, let's go. Right? Let's go. Let's see for ourselves what the angel said. Right? And you see the, you see the pregnant mom? They, they didn't have to do that. And the story would have ended right there. When God reveals himself to you, you don't have to do anything. Right? But know this, that the story is going to end with you right there. But when you, when you engage, when you physically respond to what God has revealed to you in truth, when you risk writing yourself into the story, right? Well, I say that, God has already written you in the story. When you risk believing it, then everything changes. Let's go, they said. Let's see for ourselves. Let's make known what we've learned. They told Mary and Joseph what happened to them out in the field, right? And Mary treasured these things in their heart. They're getting this amazing testimony from Anna, uh, from Simeon, from shepherds in the field. Next week we'll see they get this amazing testimony from Magi from the east. They're getting this amazing thing and the shepherds telling their story blessed Mary and Joseph and affirmed for them what God had said to them. Let's make known what we've learned. And then let's return to our ordinary... I love this. Our ordinary lives, right? And live extraordinary lives. Let's glorify God. Let's dedicate ourselves to glorifying God. You've heard this story so many times. But have you written yourself into the story? You've heard so many times about, and you've seen cute children with staffs and, and halos and different, different things, but have you written yourself into the story? You see, now you know. You know that unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the King. And that's transformative for you, but it, it's also transformative for everyone you will tell. Everyone you will tell. You're not yet at that place where you believe the message of the angel. Go and see for yourself. See if it be true. Make known your part of the story. And then let's go back to our workplaces. Let's go back to our homes. Let's go back to our church. Let's, let's tell other people what God has done. And when we do that, 
When we do that, we will be lifting up Jesus Christ. We will be adding our voice to myriad armies of God, to myriad angels. We will be proclaiming the glory of God. Pray with me, would you? Oh God, I pray for those who, who only know this story from, from Christmas carols and from um, candlelight Christmas communions, God. But have never since you calling them into the story. Oh God, grant us faith, would you? To believe that Christ has come. Grant us faith to believe that his sacrifice on the cross was, was enough for our sin. We have been saved from our sins by our Messiah. God, the living God, Yahweh, has become flesh so that we might know him and respond to him. And then, God, I pray that you would grant us amazing courage to tell everyone we know God, until not, not one tribe, not one tongue, not one people group, not one neighbor, God, of ours has not had the chance to hear. And then, God, we just believe and claim the promise that you will draw all men and women to yourself. We love you. And we pray courage to respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, would you, as we glorify God together. Thank you.